0: Of the bloke and the bird show and we are back
1: you survived air travel i did can you tell briefly about the chicago flight
0: oh well okay so it wasn't my flight so i'm trying to get out of washington dc at, at national uh, reagan national airport friday morning and united has a lot of flights to chicago which is
1: like hourly right yeah
0: pretty much hourly so I show up for my 11 a.m. departure and because I like to the, to get to the airport early, I'm there at about – You believe
1: in zero tr- stress travel. You get there three hours in advance. I, I was
0: not there three hours in advance. I was there at 9 o'clock. So uh, not quite that bad.
1: I think my but, text from you started at 8.45, but okay. I'll go there.
0: Whichever. So as, as I walk over – make my way over to the gate – The, the flight prior to mine is a chicago flight mm-hmm. that was scheduled to leave at seven forty-five in the morning
1: they were a little late
0: they were a lot late they were having a maintenance issue um they were alternately letting people on and off the plane because it was that bad of a situation um about nine ish or so i guess the they pushed the plane back thinking that they were going to leave to go to chicago and at about ooh, 10 after 10, they brought it right back to the gate again. Um, at which point there was an, an one poor lady working the United ticket counter trying to sort this out for the folks on this flight. Decides that, you know, it's a whole lot easier instead of trying to rebook some folks and leave some folks on a plane and disembark some folks off the plane. And she just says, the heck with it. Everybody get off the plane. Disembarks the whole flight. And they were nice enough that the 945 flight had already pushed back by the time that the plane rolled back in. Mm -hmm. Um, Some folks managed to get on the 1045 flight. But meanwhile, the poor woman who was still working the 745 flight – she makes an announcement, I guess, about 10.30, and says, um, so good news, the plane has been fixed. No, 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 really, it's it's been fixed. Um, gets everybody on board and starts the boarding process. At one point, makes an announcement that um, uh, you do need a boarding pass to get back on the plane, even if you have thrown your boarding pass away in disgust. You will need to come and see me to print out a new one, but she would do that for them. Uh, <laughs> But I didn't have any of those problems.
1: No, you did not. But the ongoing commentary I got in text was quite fun.
0: Well, you know, the folks on the 1045 flight thought it was absolutely hysterical. The announcement about the plane being fixed. No, no, no. Really, it's fixed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure this time. Yeah. Because I think that they had boarded twice. They boarded that flight twice. At least. Oh, those poor people. We think they're still waiting to get to Chicago.
0: No, they left. I, th- actually, no. When my plane pushed back, there that flight was still there.
1: Yeah. So,
0: yeah, they might we not have made it. We still don't know if that flight
1: has made it to Chicago.
0: If you are on yesterday's or, or Friday's 745 flight from, from National to uh, O'Hare, please let us know if you actually made it home. We'd right. appreciate that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know whose flight we are hoping has made it home because he is not needed in Malaysia we're not there yet ah you do this to me every week i gave you the whole
0: lineup in the order we were going and you just decide you're gonna rock we
1: got other stuff to talk about first i had whole segues okay
0: i know well start, you should have waited
1: start at the beginning
0: okay so first of all um what was it now two weeks ago in in in, in as much as i'm, I'm kind of coming off with a joke on this it's really not all that funny but with the chain of natural disasters that we have had in the last two weeks i've kind of lost track as to what has happened when
1: okay so you're talking about the earthquake in mexico city correct all right that was post irma pre maria
0: okay so about two weeks ago something like that major 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 earthquake in, in mexico city a lot of devastation, um, and admitted if you're a Formula One fan, there was a part of you that was wondering, "Are they going to have the race?"
1: Yes, there's definitely a part of me that was wondering that.
0: Whether you want to admit it or not, you know it. I know it. You well, were wondering.
1: I mean, let's let's be honest for a minute. That's also a money generating experience in a town that's going to need money to rebuild. Yeah. Um. So it's it's not just selfish i want to see a race it's also we know that they're counting on some of that money and they're really going to be in need of some tourist dollars coming in to an area that's been pretty well leveled
0: yeah um well rodrigo sanchez who's the marketing head of the circuit the autodromo hermanos rodriguez he reports that the track was not damaged he says it's been inspected twice already from the track surface and also the buildings and it's okay he says they'll continue doing assessments as they go but so far there's really no concerns about the facilities they will have a race now the other question that folks had is you know this is a big area there's a lot of open space a lot of potential that you know if you need emergency shelter locations they could use the area around the track Well, apparently The location of the track, as opposed to where the aid is really needed, is they're not close to each other. So there's been no talk from authorities down in Mexico City about leveraging the space that the track has as emergency facilities. So in that respect also, the track is clear, and they expect to be able to run a race.
1: So the questions I would have about being able to run the race is less about the track status. I mean, obviously, they're going to make sure that that's safe and all of that. But it's the infrastructure that's needed. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's the status of the hotels and the food and the ability for the economy to support that?
0: You know, is the transportation infrastructure working? Is the other utilities
1: functioning Where's the airport in conjunction with the track? You know, what, not what's, near the, it. what's the status of that compared to the aid locations that are needed? I mean, uh, th- fortunately, that race is not tomorrow. Yeah. They do have a few weeks to try to sort some of that out. We have two whole races between the time that we're recording this and Mexico City.
0: We do. It works out to, I think, three or four weeks easily. But the other thing is knowing Formula One. And yes, granted, it's a different man, uh, or management group. It would not surprise me if Formula One was going to walk in there as an organization and all the teams and all of the drivers. And we know Sergio Perez has been spearheading some fundraising and other aid efforts. Um, he, he has been, in many respects, the face of Formula One's response to um, the earthquake, but it would not surprise me if Formula One as an organization walked in there with a fairly significant aid and relief package. Um, it, th- they've been known to do things like that before. Um, we have joked, and, and I still wish I could find one, um, the, the Bernie Eccleston puppet yes. from several years ago, that was a fundraising effort that Bernie himself did um in response to the earthquake and tragedy in Japan many years ago. That's where that came from. Right. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Formula One walk in there with something substantial.
1: I wonder who will become a puppet for this one. I don't know if they
0: would do so. I mean, they may just walk in with, with you know, gobs of cash. 18 tractor trailers and several gobs of cash and, and say, here, let's rebuild something, okay. anything.
1: Well, and you think about some of the things that our new Formula One management is doing. You talk about the photo ops that would happen. You get the drivers, like the F1 live event, but you do it in an altruistic way. Um, The girls thing, Dare to be Different, got a lot of fabulous press too. So you get the drivers and the teams together to rebuild something, and it's an incredible press event. Yeah, And gets spun in beautiful ways. You know, how they support each other and they're a family unto themselves and all that great stuff. I I could design it in my head. You know, I do have a marketing degree. (laughs) Just saying Formula One management. I, 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 I don't have interesting eyebrows, but Sean, I could work for you.
0: The folks over at Microsoft have marketing degrees also. But you would have thought that they would have figured this one out a little better.
1: It's not their marketing degrees I'm worried about. It's more of their <laughs> computer science degrees I worry about. Well, no,
0: part of it w- w- is the, the the marketing effort here is to the timing of why they they did this. Um, so Microsoft thought it was a really great idea, to, and this was around the time of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, thought it was a really great idea to promote their partnership with uh, Renault Sport F1. Just as Renault finds themselves sitting 433 points behind Mercedes. (laughs) Microsoft says that the team, running 7th out of 10th in the 2017 constructor standings, uses everything from Microsoft's Azure Machine Learning to Stream Analytics to Dynamics 365 to help it, well, as the register says, to help it not win.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Got to give points to the register for spinning that story perfectly.
0: So according to Microsoft, the team uses uh, Redmond's AI system to collect input data from thousands of channels of sensors on the cars and analyze vehicle performance both during a race and after, as well as in testing. The idea, Microsoft says, is to use the machine learning to perform calculations and analysis that would otherwise take up the time of a team of engineers. Um, But more than that... According to Microsoft, they say that the Renault design team is using their HoloLens augmented reality platform to study and improve car and engine designs. Mm. So, I mean, there's some neat stuff there. But given the trouble that Renault is having both as a engine constructor and as a team, yeah, I don't know if Microsoft's really helping that much. <laughs> It's either that or imagine how bad they'd be if they didn't have Microsoft's
1: help. They didn't have help?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you may have a marketing degree. So did they, but that didn't help. Now, we, we talked in our last show about uh, the, the changes in the partnerships when it comes to engines with – Honda getting kicked to the curb by McLaren, McLaren going to Renault, um, Honda going to Toro Rosso, and we're going to see how this shakes out. Well, you know, now that the, the partnership has truly broken down and it is completely unrecoverable, the knives are coming out.
1: Oh, they, they've hired the like cutthroat divorce, divorce lawyers and, you know, we're now assassinating characters kind of the problem
0: is and you know mclaren for a while has been pointing out the faults in in honda and the issues and stuff like that And, and honda's been really good up until now not to go after mclaren up until um honda motorsport chief masahi yamamoto came out and said that um McLaren is a systematic company that finds it hard to adapt to change. Mm. He says, working with McLaren, I've realized that they are a very big company, which is very systematic. It's obviously very strong because of that, but at the same time, they can find it hard to adapt to change. Now, let me remind you, this is a Japanese automaker that is accusing another company of being resistant to change and very systematic. Does that make any sense to you? Pot, meat, cattle? Yeah. <laughs> I read this and I'm like, um, you do realize who you work for, right? <laughs> you, you understand that that's why everyone's been criticizing you for the last two years is because you guys aren't changing what you do. And instead you're going after... What was up until you got your hands on it a, a fairly successful Formula One team <laughs> even when crazy Ron Dennis was running it. I mean <laughs> really? Now they they do say that um, Toro Rosso, on the other hand, they're a company that is growing. It's very important for us to work in partnership together, heading towards the same goal. So for us, we are very much looking forward to being able to work closer. Take this for an example. If we compare both teams with different cuisines, let's say McLaren is a very sophisticated French cuisine. That's the way it is. Then Toro Rosso is more like a countryside homemade delicious stew where you can add new ingredients. We're excited to do that. What the hell does that even mean?
1: there are so many words <laughs> that are colliding in my head right now but let's let's pick that one apart for a second they have described mclaren as being similar to high-end french cuisine the pinnacle the respected pinnacle of a dining experience that the very thought of fine dining tends to be based on principles of cooking and many of the glossary of terms all come out of the French tradition. Yeah. No one is pointing at it and saying the French high end cuisine. They is don't innovate, bad. they're stagnant. They, they don't they suck. A, yeah, the, none of that. <laughs> They've been doing the same thing the same way for hundreds of years, pleasing people, and it is considered phenomenal. And then they're trading that for a team that they have described as backwater country stew. Yeah. So they just throw everything in the pot and see what works. Well, maybe
0: we should read the lines a little, read between the lines a little more. You have McLaren, the the French cuisine, i.e. demands excellence and expects to win and be at the front.
1: Top of precision. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. And then you have Toro Rosso, which is happy if they're in the middle of the pack.
1: So they are striving for mediocrity. <laughs>
0: mediocrity works just fine.
1: And this is a Japanese company that is telling us, and has told us for years, that they are the best manufacturer of consumer cars. They're top rated. They're high end safety in consumer cars. Their cars last better than anything else. And yada yada, woof woof. And they're settling for mediocrity at the pinnacle of motorsport. Yeah. Go Honda. (laughs) Well. Whatever makes you feel better to sleep at night. This is is when the captain of the football team has dumped you and you're sitting in your bedroom and you're crying and you have to figure out how to make yourself feel better and you say, well, he was balding and therefore he was going to lose all his hair by the time he was 20. And he got a little paunch. And he's not a starter on the football team anymore because he, you know, had it hyperextended his knee. And therefore, he's not good enough. Okay. <laughs> this is sour grapes. Apparently. Well. Honda is a teenage girl. Honda goes on a little bit more here. Should they have?
0: Probably shouldn't have. <laughs> but <laughs> there's more we can pick apart.
1: Are we going to mock them some more?
0: So. He says that uh, Mr. Yamamoto says that Mr. Toast knows a lot about Japan. He understands the culture, and it's a good communication that we have. We have seen that they also have a young factory in our growing, which for Honda is very important because we can work with the same mentality and have the same approach. It's a new start with a team with a similar mindset to move forwards together. Toro Rosso and Honda will start working together immediately and for the coming years. So McLaren... Didn't want to move forward?
1: I thought the goals of McLaren would have been the same as every other Formula One team's goals, to You know, win stuff. Um, and yet Honda does not seem to share that goal. And apparently neither does Toro Rosso. Well, you know, let, let's go
0: back to Honda has the same mentality and has the same approach. And they have a young factory in there growing honda had a mentality that adapted to change well that's not what anybody has said about them
1: no no they they didn't yeah um i think we need to you know how for years we've always referred to bernie eccleston as the bad hair bernie Mm-hmm. And we discuss the you know creative hairstyles of Chase Carey and Sean Bradshaw's eyebrows, <laughs> and um, you know we've had n- monikers for various and sundry things. I think that we should now, for this point forward, until they prove us otherwise, we will describe the new Renault Honda, not the uh, Toro Rosso Honda team, as where mediocrity comes to live.
0: Oh, I was thinking like fairy tale music or something like that.
1: No. No. Where we embrace our mediocrity. Okay.
0: So, while we were gone.
1: Well, something were else. Gone.
0: Ha- well, 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 no, cuz we didn't record. You were <clears throat> gone. Something else happened. There was a meeting of the League of Super Evil. <laughs>
1: What, pray tell, did they do this time?
0: Well, the strategy group decided, and it was confirmed by the FIA, that, you know, remember a couple of weeks ago we we heard from Christian Horner um, talking about how ludicrous the engine penalties were. Mm -hmm. And they needed to rethink this idea. And, yes, we get that, you know, we need to, to save money and we shouldn't be going and introducing... A new engine every race, but this is the, the grid penalties are, are just kind of pointless at this point. They're just getting racked on and racked on. We need to rethink the engine limits. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, they discussed the engine limits.
1: And what were they supposed to be for next year? Well, like three engines for next year because they had four this year. Drop it down to three.
0: What they ended up agreeing to, as opposed to, you know, the hey, look, this is stupid. We're, we're, we're going to give you more engines. They have agreed that the teams will get for 2018 season two.
1: So when they say they don't like grid penalties and they think the grid penalties are ridiculous, what they really mean is we love the drama of the grid penalty and we want it to continue.
0: Yeah. Now, it, it, it's it depends on the component. So what they've done is— Two examples of the MGUKs, which is the kinetic energy uh, units, and kinetic energy recovery units, uh, the energy stores, and the control electronics. So, since the calendar for next year is going to have 21 races, that means the MGUK and all the associated components need to last 11 races. And if you screw up your MGUK design and you need to upgrade, you either need to suck it up for 11 races or you're going to start racking in penalties. Um, now on the remaining power unit unit elements, the, that's the internal combustion engines, the turbochargers of which Ferrari had one fail this week, and the MGU-Hs, that's the the um, recovery units for the heat. Um, those drivers get three uh, pieces or, or three different units.
1: So they have to last seven races.
0: Seven races each. Now, let's also remember, and and, and this is something that's got to have Toro Rosso a little concerned here. Um, After the first 14 races of the current season, Stoffel van Doren had already used as many as 10 examples of some pieces of the power unit. 10, and they're going to 2.
1: I can't wrap my head around that being a good thing, mostly because one of the things that really bothers me is that we get all excited for about the Barcelona race. You know, we start off Mm -hmm. the season, we get all excited for about the Barcelona race because there's major engine upgrades that are supposed to be happening. Yep. They're going to get one shot at an engine upgrade throughout the entire season, and there's 21 races in the season. Yep okay formula one when we said we wanted things to be different this was not what we said we wanted
0: hey just to give you more an idea of of what this is potentially going to mean here so there have been eight drivers so far this year basically the entire uh lineup of drivers on either Renault or honda engines eight of them have already exceeded this year's upper limit of four examples of at least one of their power unit components and just as a reminder so far the max that we have seen due to power or max penalties that we have seen this season due to power units was 150 grid places Stoffel. um actually it was total at monza it was 150 places
1: Mm. i mean really I mean, once you hit over 20, it's kind of pointless. Um, But seriously, oh, my word, seriously. Okay.
0: Well, not long after this decision around the technical specifications came down, word also came out that the head of the FIA's Formula One Technical Department, Marcin Budkowski, has resigned with immediate effect.
1: Oh, so he's leaving Formula One, obviously. He's thrown his little hands up and said, you guys are being ridiculous. I'm leaving.
0: Um, Kind of. He's actually on three months of gardening leave before he goes to join Renault. To which several of the teams are um, really kind of pissed. Because what this means is that as the head of the FIA's technical department he has insight into what every single team is doing and in many respects what they're planning on doing wow and after just a three-month break he's going to go to renault and go hey ferrari's looking at this and mclaren's looking at this and mercedes is looking at this how can we go and incorporate all of it
1: don't worry honda will break it yeah i mean that's the only saving grace is that honda will break it
0: so we'll see how that one plays out um it got a little bit of play over on a channel four side um and i think it's probably a bigger deal than anybody's letting on Renault um cyril a really isn't commenting on it he has so far refused to comment on it but the word is yeah he's coming to work for reno and
1: and technically, the way he's doing it is not illegal.
0: It's not. Um, and that is
1: the minimum amount of gardening leave he is required to take.
0: Under Swiss regulations. Right. I guess if there was a different com- country involved, not. I don't know whether he's Swiss or it's because, actually, I think, thought the FIA was in France, not in Switzerland.
1: I don't know. Where do they get a tax I don't break.
0: know. All those EU places and, well, actually, Switzerland isn't even in the EU. So yeah i don't even know how these labor laws work over there they've got their own special stuff
1: i barely understand the u.s labor laws i cannot expect me to understand international labor laws
0: okay well a different kind of technology that was trialed um f1's technology partner tata communications uh in singapore trialed two live 360-degree video cameras at the marina bay circuit to see if they could be in, introduced as part of the regular television feed in the future. So they placed one of the cameras in the paddock and another was put next to the track at the Anderson Bridge. The whole idea was they wanted to, to check on data transfer capabilities. Um, live 360-degree feeds have been a challenge for sports in the past due to a lengthy delay before the images can be processed. Um, that has been in the past up to up to 30 seconds. Um, however, um, they think that they have gotten it, that it's near real time. The idea is they did the test to show how a fan could watch Lewis or Sebastian or any other driver drive into the pits on TV, and then while you, as the fan, grab your tablet, get a second completely in sync, 360-degree view of everything going on around them when he's in there, not 30 seconds after he's driven off. So, on your tablet, you could follow them into the pit lane, and, like, assuming they put it on the car, you could see 360 degrees around the car as the car was served, and boom, out it went
1: oh, that could, as it happened. That could be super cool.
0: That could be. There, I, I, it's an interesting possibility there.
1: See, I think that um, the Liberty Media people need to be exploring what could be done in a dual-screen environment for Formula One to enhance the experience. I mean, this is one way that they could enhance the experience, but the the ability to leverage, like, the second screen to be able to follow a specific driver through the race, like, why couldn't I be able to tap right into Lewis's camera?
0: I think there's some extent that's available to you if you subscribe to the Formula One app, which we don't do.
1: True, there is some, but there is. I don't believe that there's quite that level of detail.
0: Where I think, if that exists within the app, what I would like to and and this is why we don't subscribe to the app, is most of those features, if not all of those features, occur live during the race. Correct. The problem is, we don't watch the race live. Mm-hmm. We very rarely watch it live, unless it's in North America, because... I'm not getting up at 4 in the morning to watch a race when I can just time shift it and sleep late. So You're not
1: getting <laughs> up at 4 o'clock in the morning even when the cat is standing on my head screaming at you. Well,
0: that's because it's standing on your head, not mine.
1: But it is <laughs> screaming at you.
0: But if there was a way I could turn around and watch the race on whatever my favorite outlet was, mm-hmm. whether that was NBC Sports or sky or channel 4 or god forbid the canadian broadcast which i hear is worse than the nbc sports i know it's hard to believe but
1: i didn't think that was physically possible
0: apparently it's even worse did um, they get
1: somebody older than hobbs to do their commentary
0: no it's like this is the race and we'll talk about the race and once the race is over we go off to other stuff oh. there's no pre-show there's no post-show there's no analysis it's boom here's the race
1: you might as well be watching the raw feed from the FIA. Pretty close to Thailand.
0: that is my understanding. But regardless of what I'm watching or, or and when I'm watching it, if I could turn around and sync up the that extra data and that extra information and extra feed that Formula One was providing to its subscribers, regardless of when I watch the race, and, and maybe they turn around and go, okay, you have to consume this within 14 days. I'm good with that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I would subscribe to the app. That would deliver value to me. Oh yeah, but with it being that I can only get that content if I watch the race when it's happening, it's the value proposition isn't there for me.
1: Well, I think it's there's a, a difficulty in trying to figure out how to do the, the time shift sync mm-hmm. because at some point all the broadcasts would basically have to say if you are using the app, this is you know sync to this. Because there's got to be some way that you tell the app, I am watching my coverage now start.
0: Um, There's a couple ways you could do it. Um, One is you allow the app to have access to the microphone. Mm. And if there's a tone that's generated at maybe certain intervals throughout the race, and it doesn't even have to be an audible tone. I mean, if you... This is... Some old school stuff here. But think back 30 plus years ago. Um, if you were watching on cable, whether it was CNN or a lot of the other networks, they'd go to a commercial and there'd be that weird, like, digital tone that would pop up, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was what that was. That was the network sending a notification to the cable providers that they had gone to a commercial and they could start their local commercial role. Do a similar kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, that could be possible.
0: And that would it's that could keep film it with, strip technology. Yeah, and that could keep it in sync.
1: That would be interesting. Yeah. Work on that.
0: We're also hearing we don't know what the details are yet, but we're hearing that F1 and the Formula One Group has come up with a five-point plan. And, you know, if there's five points, it, it, it's got to be good, either that or utter crap, one or the other.
1: Well, it's an odd number.
0: But, but they've come up with a five-point plan that is aimed to improve the racing and, as they describe, produce Leicester City-like upsets. Now, for those who have no idea anything about soccer, and, and we have very little about it, um, Leicester City is uh, an English football team that uh back in 2015 wasn't expected to do very well they had had some pretty crappy seasons and were expected to be because the way Premiership works is that if you don't uh, if you're not successful enough you get relegated to to the lower leagues mm-hmm. they were up for relegation and instead this that year um in 2015 of getting relegated they won the whole thing it's like a major league story yeah they won the whole thing So the idea is Formula One, just like a lot of other folks, are starting to recognize that the difference between the folks at the front and, like, Sauber is huge. Right. So...
1: We could have told them that, like, when we were brand new watchers.
0: Yeah, well, they're realizing that they've got to come up with ways to to level the playing field to some extent. So that it's a possibility that when you watch the race, you're not going to go, okay... I'm watching a race, and there's a pretty good chance that it's either going to be a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or a Red Bull that's going to win. But instead, it's that possibility that a Sauber or a Force India or even a Toro Rosso could pop up on the podium or potentially win a race.
1: Okay, but here's my concern. Okay. My concern is all around how manufactured that becomes. Yeah. I do not, under any circumstances, want this to become wwe
0: we don't and there's a reason to be concerned when formula one and the fia interfere with the racing i mean we saw that with the high deg tires and we've seen that folks still are not necessarily sure they like drs Um, we've seen that with some of the other Uh, Even the energy recovery stuff, there's been some concern is the impact that that can have on a race, especially in 2012 when not all the teams could afford it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is some concern about that.
1: Well, and I can understand. I mean, they have not shown a great track record of screwing with the sport and making it better.
0: Now, let's also keep in mind, though, who was calling the shots to do some of the things that were implemented over the years.
1: Well, Bernie of the Bad Hair Bernies, I get it.
0: But, yeah, I, I – and, and this is what I don't know. What I think – a good part of my concern is I think when, when um, they make an effort to improve the show as opposed to improve the racing, I think they're doomed to failure. If this is more from this idea of if we improve the racing,
1: everything else gets better, better. then
0: that may have a chance to succeed. But when they do it from the Bernie Eccleston perspective of we need to improve the show, that's where I think they'll end up in trouble.
1: Well, and it will also depend on who designed these five points. Yeah. Because you you try to tell me that if Ross designed these five points – that we're really going to be that far off the mark because he's he's bright guy. He gets it, and we know he gets it. He knows where the show can be improved, and it's by improving the racing.
0: Yeah. And so we'll see.
1: Hopefully less in a manufactured way because if one of these five points is sprinklers on the track to make wet races, <laughs> I'm coming after you. Yeah, that I don't think it is. What these five points are is a complete and utter mystery.
0: As of right now.
1: I mean, it, they could be that the drivers have to, like, do Chinese fire drills and drive each other's cars or, you know, it could be kind of crazy stuff. It may be reverse grids. I don't like reverse grids.
0: Again, you say that, but one of the things that's been pointed out is that f- I think it's, formula, it's either Formula 2 or GP3. They've been playing with it, and they've had some pretty decent effect with it. So I don't know. So, again, calling back to our previous show, our last show, you mentioned that it was Singapore, and we have all kinds of crazy that happens over at Singapore. One of the crazy that happened, we did not this year have— There was no man on track. There was no man on track during the race. But there was a bit of a social media firestorm. Uh Uh-oh. So a couple made a post, and I don't have the exact date of when it was. It may have been around sun, Saturday night. Made a post um, of a gentleman in the old ugly Honda gradation black and white shirt, and what I'm assuming is his wife, clearly standing out on the track. And he captioned it with, 3 a.m. in the morning, bribed the security guard to let us onto the track. He not only agreed, he took the photo. Non-F1 fans won't understand us, but most of us will. So that's caused a bit of a furor on a whole lot of levels. Not the least of which is, this is Singapore where chewing gum is illegal. True. And somebody has been beaten with a cane pole for spraying graffiti. And now we have potential bribery, trespass, all of this other stuff. So this has caused a bit of a fear over what the heck is going on. The picture came down a few days later. Um, then we got word that the gentleman who did this, um, he pulled it down. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he came clean. What he had to post a few days later was, okay, time to come clean. There was no bribery, no corruption, no nothing. The barriers were down, the gates open. I asked the guard if he would take a photo of us and he kindly agreed. There were others on the track also. One guy even skateboarding around it, others just jogging. There was more spice on the story than Christian Horner on his honeymoon. See you at the Malaysian Grand Prix as long as I can raise the bail money. Because that's one of the things Singapore authorities were considering arresting this guy.
1: They don't mess around.
0: Yeah. And then we find out, it gets even better. The the firm who's responsible for providing security at the Grand Prix, um, they were kind of upset, too. Um, Security and Risk Solutions Director John Loom told Channel News Asia on September 21st that his company's reputation was at stake because of this. Um, He said his company, which also provided security at last year's Singapore Grand Prix, had interviewed all of the officers on duty at the time of the alleged incident and included that there had been no bribery. And oh, by the way, this came out just before the guy admitted he hadn't done this. He said they submitted all their findings to the event organizers. They were satisfied and we were satisfied that there was no breach as alleged by the Post. We work very closely with our guys, and this is not the only event that we do. We manage concerts, private parties, celebrity events, and all that. We use pretty much the same group of people, so we know them pretty well. So he says that there was no truth to the claim that, that the guard had uh, agreed to take the photo. Um They're actually consulting, seeking legal advice over this post because they are concerned over the potential damage to their reputation as a security organization. Wow. Um, Yeah, he went on further to say that there are four groups of people working during the wee wee hours. Apart from the security, there is the technical team that's running around to check and make sure everything's okay. There's a delivery team during the night, and there are ground staff. It could be one of them who were involved, but it's definitely not one of our security staff.
1: I mean, okay, so let's grant. This guy was stupid. He made – he made embellished a story to make it sound really good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing. <coughs> But that's not the location you embellish stories like that. But never in my wildest dreams when you outlined this story, would I have thought about the reputation of the security company? Yeah. And the minute you said that that was a problem, it was like, oh, wow, that would have really damaged their reputation because they have to be known to keep things secure. And that includes hiring people that are not susceptible to bribery. And if that's going on, on public media, I mean, that's that's
0: big. I mean, it would have been one thing if they had just taken a picture and, you know, 3 a.m. on the track and, at Singapore. I don't think anybody would have cared. Right. And it wouldn't have gotten any. Hell, we did Sunset standing on Pitt Lane at Mid-Ohio, and nobody cared. Right. But also, if we found it Mid-Ohio, if nobody tells you you can't do it. That
1: you totally can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Express unwritten consent apparently works at Mid Ohio. So And
1: keep in mind sometimes when one person tells you no It doesn't mean that somebody else tell you it's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. (laughs) So since we're talking about Singapore. Yes. Really the only thing that happened. Well there were two things of any note that happened in that race. Overall, it wasn't that and it shaped up that it potentially could have been a really exciting race.
1: Well, it had a metric ton of safety cars.
0: It had a metric ton of safety cars. They
1: have not broken their 100% record of safety cars.
0: But it was, as a lot of people pointed out, the very first time that, A, we have had a wet race in Singapore, Mm -hmm. let alone a wet night race. Right. And that was its own bit of issues, but it was the events of the opening lap. That was really Turn the one. excitement, turn one, the opening lap, and I don't know. I I looked at the video multiple multiple to- well, times. Well, right after it happened, I looked at the video as we saw. I think replay number three, and everybody was apportioning blame. And I'm like, it's a racing incident. Mm-hmm. It's a racing incident. There's, I mean, Sebastian came across. He was defending because he was defending from Max
1: had no reason to believe or know that Raikkonen was on the other side of
0: Mm -hmm. Max. And Max had nowhere he could go. It's a racing incident. And then you get Ferrari who comes out on Twitter and says that it's Max's fault, Max should get penalized. To which, by the way, Mark Webber responded right away. And the assumption is that Mark knows who the PR person was driving the the Twitter account. Mark Webber responded right away with... This comes from, from the PR guy who's never even sat in the go-kart.
1: Oh. Um,
0: yeah, he was <laughs> he was not particularly happy at that one. But Ferrari initially came out and said it was Max's fault. Max comes out and says that, you know, this is Seb's fault, and Seb was too aggressive, and when you're fighting for the championship like he is and racing for the championship, you shouldn't be that aggressive.
1: Which we say, yes, you should be. Uh-huh. You're fighting
0: for the cha- That That's yeah, why that, you're fighting for the championship. By definition, you should be aggressive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Max has his, well, Max is, and at the time he was still a teenager. He uses teenage logic, and let's remember that. He is still very young. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it was very much a racing incident. The number and the type, the people that were affected by it was awful, in a lot of ways. And it also allowed for a very surprise ending. It made what could have been a dull race a little bit more exciting. Um, I mean, we had fifth place make it up to first. We had mm-hmm. people so out of their <clears throat> normal spots, the best ever finishes for a bunch of different drivers, which I thought was all really good stuff.
0: It was. Um, Just to, to jump back at the Steward's statement. The stewards ruled that this was a racing incident. And the statement they released said that they examined video evidence and heard from Sebastian Vettel, the driver of car 5, Kimi Räikkönen, the driver of car 7, Max Verstappen, the driver of car 33, and team representatives. Driver of car 7 had a very good start and was able to attempt overtaking of car 33 on the left-hand side. At the same time, car 5, which had a slower start, moved to the left-hand side of the track. Car 33 and Car 7 then collided, resulting in a chain collision with Car 5 and ultimately Car 14, Fernando Alonso, at the next turn. Cars 7, 5, and 33 had to retire immediately as a result of the incident, and Car 14 retired some laps thereafter. The stewards consider that no driver was found to, be, to have been wholly or predominantly to blame for the incident and will therefore take no further action.
1: I think it's totally original.
0: Yeah. Um, But that being said, there was a whole chain of folks on the internet, pundits and non-pundits alike, saying this was Sebastian who was at fault, and Sebastian just threw away his chances at a title this year, and it's all over, and no, I don't think so.
1: I don't think it's all over, but those are the same pundits that literally... Mercedes doesn't win the first race of the season, and well, Mercedes is crap this year. Yeah, they win the second race. Oh, they're back. They don't win the third race. Oh, they're crap. I mean, those pundits are, are as fickle as fickle gets. You need the people that are fans in the bad years. I mean, that's mm-hmm. those are the pundits that you want to listen to. But I think that the only people that did not get assigned some level of blame to that turn, first turn incident. I mean, everybody was getting some. It was Riken's fault he shouldn't have been there. It was yeah. Max's fault he shouldn't have been there. It was Vettel's fault he shouldn't have turned in that way. Alonso got hit in the melee of the whole thing. And he was pretty pissed. He was ticked off. He had had an amazing start. I got to give that boy credit. Um, he got caught up in the whole melee of it. And somehow somebody somewhere said it was his fault you know, it was the rain's fault. It was this, the only people that didn't get blamed for it were like Marcus Erickson and Toto wolf. I mean, pretty much those were it. The dinosaur that was on the track last year got blamed for part of this turn one incident. It was an incredible wreck to watch. It was shocking. It provided a shocking result to the race. Um, all things are good because I'm a Lewis fan, so therefore it's all okay. Um, It turned what could have been a uh, back-and-forth points thing because Lewis had finally Mm -hmm. gotten ahead of Vettel the the race prior. This one they were expected to lose, would drop back below Vettel no matter what. If he had come in after Vettel.
0: Vettel would have taken the lead again.
1: Vettel would have taken the lead. And then there was talk that in Malaysia – That was a high-speed track, and that Mercedes should do very well in it. So we would have set ourselves up for this Mm back-and-forth race thing. And there, Vettel doesn't finish, and now Lewis is more than a race ahead of Sebastian Vettel coming out of Singapore. So naturally, now all the pundits are like, well, it's all over. Hamilton's going to win the season, and Vettel is not going to win it at all because it's all over. Well, it's not all over because – The season's not over yet. Well, we're not mathematically there yet.
0: At at this point, though, what what I I think is over, truly, I I think at this point it's safe to say that mathematically Ferrari is in contention for the constructor, is, is still in contention for the constructors' championship. And I say it that way deliberately because mathematically means that, yeah, it, it it's possible. It's not likely. Not by a long shot.
1: Um, I don't remember what the difference is. I mean, we're recording this after Malaysia has run. We know the results of Malaysia. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but I don't remember...
0: Well, while you look that up,
1: okay, let me talk talking. a little
0: about Fernando Alonso. So Fernando admitted on th- this past Thursday when talking to Autosport that um, he was rather ticked off with the turn one incident in singapore and ended up punching a hole in the wall oh yeah um he said his disappointment turned to anger when he watched a replay and realized how big an opportunity he had lost which is when he punched the wall um when asked by autosport about leaving a hole in the wall Alonso said yes it is still there it was frustration When I saw the replay, and when I saw Vettel spinning out of turn three, we were just behind Lewis, and we were on the right tire at that moment. So we could even try to overtake him if the moment arrives. Then probably we lose one or two positions, but not more, because it's a street circuit and no one will overtake you. That podium could have been one of the biggest things of my career, and we missed it.
1: I was so close. I could have been a contender. Yeah. Okay. Updated constructor standings. Mm-hmm. Currently, Mercedes sits at five hundred and three points, and Ferrari sits at three hundred and eighty-five at the end of the Malaysia Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. That is a hundred and eighteen point difference. Yep. Um, so, just to give you some what mathematically, so it's
0: two races, two and a half races, give or take.
1: Well, not really, because mm-hmm. one and two is twenty-five and eighteen points, and there are five races left, so that it could be total of forty points. Mm-hmm gained in each race and there are five races left so there are 200 points available and that would assume mercedes does not finish any future races in the points and ferrari wins one and two of every remaining race so yes mathematically
0: and 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 that's why they are
1: still in contention there's about 75 points that are kind of at wiggle room there Mm -hmm. um but that's why I said I think it's time to say increasingly unlikely, and
0: and and that's why I I, I phrase it the way I did that at this point Ferrari is only mathematically still in contention.
1: Yeah, it is it is um increasingly unlikely. I was asking you a little bit ago at what point are they going to call it because obviously they have to get to the point where it's not mathematically possible anymore. Mm-hmm. At roughly forty points a race, you know we've got to get that that gap to be less than greater than the number of races left correct so it could easily get called with another bad result at japan or a u.s grand prix one of those two i think is when it's going to get
0: called. yeah the, the constructor is going to get settled long before the end of the season but the way things are going we could be up at, at you know, still trying to figure out who the drivers' champion is at the last race,
1: which is also what makes it's by definition. They say what makes <coughs> a great season,
0: and and we could settle it without double points.
1: Well, yes, because double dobby, it was not the best idea ever.
0: The other notable thing that we should point out is Daniel Ricciardo getting second in Singapore. Yes. Um, what's really not- notable about this is that. The team actually thought that they were going to have to retire the car.
1: Oh, wow. As
0: early as lap 15, they thought they were going to have to retire the car. Um, according to uh, Christian Horner's Talking to Sky, he said, On lap 15, we were staring down the barrel of both cars being eliminated. We've come away with a second place here, so we'll take that. Even before the first safety car, we could see we were losing a lot of oil pressure in the gearbox. We thought it was only going to go half distance. So Daniel had an instruction to start managing that, and then, of course he had to sacrifice lap time doing that. But he did that incredibly well and managed to nurse the car home after almost an hour and a half. Mm.
1: I loved just. I have a soft spot for Daniel Ricciardo. You just have to know that, mm-hmm. um, and he's probably one of my <clears throat> second, one of my favorite drivers on the grids. Um, but one of the things that I loved was in an interview after Singapore, his response was, someday I'm going to win this one.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, he has he has been a bridesmaid at this one twice now, and it should have been his. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I get it. But, oh, I mean, awesome that he was able to nurse at home. Awesome that he was able to nurse at home in his second place. I didn't realize he had quite those problems going on.
0: I don't think anybody did
1: um but i mean how awesome is that but it was just that smile on his face it's like someday i'm gonna win this one i think that and monaco are gonna be two that he will he will relish when he ever gets to the point where he can win those two
0: hey hey, while we're talking about red bull we have confirmation that for 2018 they have a new title sponsor and as expected it's aston martin
1: so I've been thinking about this. Okay, I know why they went past Martin.
0: Cause they could potentially get Mercedes engines out of the deal. No. Okay.
1: Because Aston's logo has wings.
0: You you had you worked two weeks on that. I did. Okay. Hey, I, I did. <laughs> that, that, that was um
1: that was that was two weeks of comic genius. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do better next time.
0: Well, the Wings will feature prominently across the team. That's the plan. Um, as part of the arrangement, and, and it's more than just a title sponsorship and some cash, um, as part of the arrangement, a new advanced performance center has been created on Red Bull's campus in Milton Keynes, or Milton Keys. It will create more than 100 jobs, house the development of Red Bull and Aston's next supercar project, and foster closer collaboration between the two brands. Um, there is also, and, and just so that he could, I guess, prime the pump a little bit, Christian Horner has said that should Aston do, decide to um, build an engine for Formula One, that they would definitely be open to running it. Really? I know that that's a huge surprise.
1: I know. I have to sit down. I yeah. I, I don't know if I can handle surprises like that.
0: Yeah, it it should be really interesting to see if anything else comes out of this. Uh, but what uh, Andy Palmer, who's the CEO, of Aston says is that Title's partnership is the next logical step for our innovation partnership with Red Bull. We're enjoying the global brand awareness that a revitalized Formula One provides. The power unit discussions are of interest to us, but only if the circumstances are right. We are not about to enter an engine war with no restrictions in cost or dyna- dynamometer hours, but we believe that if the F1 can create the right environment, we would be interested in getting involved. Wow. So, yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, and then you got to look down at the lower level. And back to Toro Rosso. This is where you can do your segue. Oh.
1: Yeah, that we hope that he made it home on his flight very nicely? The,
0: the Daniel Kvyat made it home, yeah. Yeah. Um, because so, uh, Daniel Kvyat has been replaced.
1: He's a very nice guy.
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Well, what Franz Toast had to say is and, and about the entire situation. Uh, well, first off, let's start with, with Daniel. He said, for a variety of reasons, some of them due to technical problems, but others being mistakes of his own making, Daniel has not really shown his true potential so far this year, which is why we are standing him down for the next races. This will give us the opportunity to evaluate Pierre on track during a proper race weekend. So yes, Daniel's a a very nice guy.
1: Now he is coming back. He has not been relegated to um, go home and,
0: Well, yeah. Autosport believes that it is likely that Daniel will be back for the U.S. Grand Prix in uh,
1: Austin. Because Pierre Gasly has got a conflict in that Yeah, race. He, he's, he's still he's, under contract. He's
0: still in Super Formula uh, for a, a Red Bull subsidiary, uh, but he's still scheduled to compete down in – in japan for whatever the super formula race is
1: unless they find a replacement for him there i mean that's also possible too
0: well there, there's that possibility I, I think if pierre continues to show well they may decide to keep him i don't know <laughs> the whole idea um according to france toast is or france toast is toro Rosso was established by red bull to bring youngsters from its junior program into formula one and that's what they're doing by giving Pierre this chance. He's next in line at Red Bull for this opportunity, and his shown he deserves it, having taken a 2016 GP2 title and this year being very competitive in a Super, super Formula Series in Japan. Um, he really has a valid chance of winning the title, as he is only a half point behind the leader. Um, the driver switch gives us an opportunity to make a more informed decision regarding our 2018 choices. So, yeah, it gives them a chance to see him. But if he's a point behind a leader in Super Formula, they're not going to pull him.
1: Yeah, it does depend on what his schedule is going to look like. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, he did run in <coughs> Malaysia.
0: He did. He didn't do – well, first he finished the race. He finished. And, and considering Carlos Sainz didn't, there's that. Um, he made it at least into Q2. i
1: say, I think that – I mean, he – Qualified fairly well, given the car, um, and I was listening to the BBC Five Live coverage, their recap of Malaysia, mm-hmm. and uh, Jenny Gao gave him drive of the race. Okay, I could say, I mean,
0: for first time ever in a Formula One That's car. That's the
1: reason why she said that that was it.
0: For, for him to perform as well as he did, I mean, yeah, he didn't come home with points. He finished the race, he stayed out of trouble.
1: Okay, yeah, I
0: I can kind of see that.
1: And what she did say was that she had originally thought that she was going to give it to Lance Stroll, but the end of the race, post-race incident with Vettel eliminated that.
0: Yeah, that was
1: pretty dumb. But So she went with Pierre Gasly. I thought it was a pretty decent thing. He's He's got a lot of good buzz about him, and he didn't crash. So unlike your favorite,
0: <laughs> Lance Stroll, Stroll, who did crash,
1: Um, I think that he uh, he is off to a decent Formula One start. The thing that just grabs me is the awful luck timing and you know all of the different magic that has to happen to have a Formula One career. But you gotta have a heart and feel sorry for Daniel caviat He got called up to the big boys from Toro Rosso, was there for a couple of weeks and then got sitting down. Oh, to no he made eclipsed. it through,
0: he, he made it through a year.
1: He did not make it through a year at Red Bull. Yeah he did. He did not
0: double check that he did a year at red bull it was his second year that it that the the wheels fell off the wagon and he didn't make it because he was driving for red bull in suzuka and had a hell of a crash but he has been while you look that up and confirm that one um mclaren announced their financial results from 2016 um they lost 3.2 million pounds. Uh, and that was directly as a result of the reduced prize money it received um, due to that four, uh, due to that poor first season with Honda. Now keep in mind also that that 3.2 million dollar loss was even after getting its engines for free and something like a hundred million dollars from Honda just for running the engines in the first place i mean it's crazy um the amount of money that they got from their uh 2016 the prize purse was 16.5 million pounds which was half of what it would have received had it come in fifth the last year when it was a mercedes customer in 2014 and you're still looking up
1: yep i'm still looking Okay, it looks like 2015 he ran the season with Daniel Ricciardo. See, I was right. Because um, he took Vettel's spot. Right. And then it was four races into the 2016 season when Max came in. Correct. And he was eclipsed by the, like, freshman driver in Toro Rosso.
0: And I, I, we could replay the audio from that incident in Russia. I won't do that. Everybody's heard it enough.
1: Ugh. And, um, and then went back down to the Red Bull uh, junior team of Toro Rosso. And then gets booted out in the middle of another season.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, they, they kept him in place for the majority of, of last season. And, honestly, I didn't think he did all that great last year. Even, especially to, after he got punted down.
1: There. He, I mean, it takes an incredible guy to get demoted and not have it reflect it, in his work and that's it what happened does, to him.
0: but he was put up against a rookie and the rookie showed him up left and right he wasn't a team player we heard that on multiple occasions that even this year he was not being a team player but i don't, don't think the th-
1: team was being a team player to him either
0: i don't know i, I, I think
1: th- that pulling the rug out from underneath him with max absolutely destroyed that was, him
0: was but i'm talking this year that I, relationship I this year has gotten worse
1: i don't think that he's recovered from that demotion he probably hasn't
0: but the problem is if you're looking to stay in formula one you kind of need to recover
1: well you need to i mean i frankly think that he should have been released from red bull's team and allowed to go find something else or at some point, I mean, it's just I don't think that he's done any services by staying in his demoted spot.
0: See, see and that's where I disagree. I, I think actually Red Bull, the, the organization did give him, provide him a huge service. Um, instead of turning around and cutting him free and having that stain on his record that you couldn't finish the season with a Formula One team. That you were doing that bad that they brought somebody up instead. I think he would have struggled to find another racey. If at least they had turned around, it'd be one thing if he finished the season and they said, "Okay, we're not renewing your contract. You're out of here." That would have been one thing. That he could have recovered off of, and I don't think he would have had a problem with the, you know, putting that on on your your resume that that you were a Formula One driver and the new hotshot came in and took your seat at the end of the season. Okay, fine. Lots of drivers move on to other series as a result of such things. But to turn around and get replaced mid-season or not in in his case it wasn't even mid-season. A lot less than mid-season.
1: By the rookie.
0: Still. Yeah, he, it was by a rookie, but it was you were at a top-tier team. Red Bull is you're at a top tier team and you couldn't perform at a level that that allowed them to to retain their confidence in you. So instead they grabbed the kid who had all of four races under his belt and his other claim to fame was in an exhibition thing. He wrecked a car. Had. No Junior Series experience, no real experience driving Formula One cars, and they rush him up after four races to replace you? That speaks a lot.
1: See, I think that what Red Bull ought to have done, what would have been the kindest thing they should have done, is when that happened, when they needed to make the midseason shift, because they weren't going to win the season. They weren't going to win the constructors. This wasn't a huge risk to work out some deal with some other team to give get Daniel Daniel a seat on another team and but make Red that shift. Red Bull doesn't shift, do that though. But make that shift happen. So they could have still brought Max up, but they could have allowed that boy to save some face.
0: But Red Bull doesn't do that though.
1: That's my problem. and, and, and that's Red why Bull, they're the evil league.
0: Red Bull has had they've got a history of especially on from Toro Rosso in particular of cutting drivers free mid-season and that's it you're gone see ya that's the end of your career see, where at least here Red Bull kept him around now that they're not letting him make it through the whole season i think that says a lot and i think a lot of that is maybe on to him
1: well, I, like I said, I think that he handled it poorly. I, even just doing the switch with Max last year, if they had let him finish the season with Toro Rosso, okay, fine. But help him negotiate something where he could have been out from underneath that shadow for 2017 might have helped. Or he needed to go find a race job someplace out of Formula One. And that's my feeling. I think that it's just the it's the being demoted and still having to show up every day. I think that's hard. And where yeah, it is. he didn't handle it very well, you can point to Sergio Perez and say finishing out the season, being allowed to save a little face. It didn't he got demoted pretty quick too. He was only brought up to the the big but, boys but for a But he finished year. the season. He, like I said, allowing him to finish the season, save a little face, he's been sent back down, he's honed his craft a little bit. You've, you've, you you've see that not affecting him quite so bad. I think the way the Red Bull handled that and probably Daniel's own sensitivities is not a good combination.
0: I think there was one other thing that kept Sergio Perez around that Daniel Kvyat does not enjoy and will ultimately doom him from remaining in Formula One. Sergio Perez has a lot of sponsorship money behind him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he failed miserably when he was over at... um, Well, I don't want to say he failed miserably. He failed at... he, He was not as successful as would have been expected when he was over at McLaren. Now, admittedly, the car wasn't that great either, and I think some of that was accepted when people were looking around. But the fact that he had that big sponsorship check behind him I think helped him a lot. And then you've got that... Force India was somewhat familiar with him to begin with that helped too Mm -hmm. I don't think um, Kvyat has big sponsorship money behind him and as a result the teams that I think are likely to hire somebody like him whether that's a a Williams or a a Sauber or a Sauber (laughs) Um. (laughs) yeah there's nobody else left at this point Um, maybe Haas, um, he's not attractive in it. There's no money to at least back up his what at this point can be considered middling performance.
1: Well, and that's the other piece of that is, yeah, I get it. But I'm not putting – I just refuse to put all the blame on him. I think he's been the victim of some poor decisions that would have allowed him to save face, and I don't think he handled it very well, and I think that he honestly should have packed up his toys and gone home. But I feel sorry for him having the rug pulled out from underneath him twice by his team. Yeah. He's got to feel like his team didn't like him very much.
0: Formula One is cutthroat. You got to perform and he's made some stupid mistakes.
1: He has.
0: And I think that's really where it lies. Hey, back to McLaren real quick. Yeah. So... We know 2020 is the end of the current commercial rights agreement uh, between the teams, and we don't know where that's going. But Zach Brown has said that McLaren is open to a compromise on the special payments that they get. Now, as a reminder, Ferrari, Williams, McLaren, and now Renault, and to a lesser extent Mercedes, get special payments. Deals when it comes to payment, they get bonuses regardless of where they place. They're guaranteed a certain level of income. Um, for all but Mercedes, it's because they're considered either hist- actually Red Bull also they're considered historic teams. Red Bull and Mercedes because they committed to long term contracts. And Mercedes who turned around and said, "If we win like two years in a row, you're going to give us the money." And Bernie said, "Yeah, sure, okay, whatever." Mm-hmm. And then they did it. Um, McLaren it. it Zach Brown is saying that McLaren is open to a compromise, at least in terms of their payment. Now, how that would work and what that would, how that you know what that would constitute, we don't know. But he at least says that they're open to some level of negotiation, which we haven't heard that from anybody else. No. So, I can't imagine that they would agree to a deal when nobody else will. But I think he's at least trying to get the door open to some talks.
1: Well, that's a, a good thing.
0: So, speaking of Williams, Felipe is saying that it is Williams for him in 2018, or he's out.
1: Okay.
0: Take me or leave me, this is it. If I can't get into Williams, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going down to a Sauber. I'm not going down to, to a lesser team. It has got to be Williams. We haven't heard anything one way or the other from Williams. However, Paul Restes stood up and said... I'd really like that seat. Oh. Now I don't know if that means that he's not expecting a contract from Sky, but he's saying it, yeah, yeah, I, I'd really like that seat. You know, everybody said I did really well for pretty much no preparation. Imagine what I could do if I actually prepare for the seat. So I'd really like the seat.
1: Well, I don't know if we're going to get an answer anytime soon because isn't Claire like actively giving birth as we talk?
0: Um, she is probably in, you know, the the final stages of her pregnancy. Um, I have not heard that she has given birth yet, but she's got, I mean, she was super pregnant last time we saw her. So it's coming soon, but I haven't heard anything yet. So. But Claire, I mean, you've got Patty Lowe, you've got Frank. mm Mm-hmm do they necessarily need to have Claire involved? And and if she... My, my other suspicion is that Claire, even if she's on bed rest, doesn't mean that she doesn't have a laptop and some some <laughs> cell phones gathered around her so that she can review contracts and and, and um, provide input.
1: Well, I would assume that, too. I'm not sure how much input Frank is giving, because you remember Frank's been very, very ill lately, too. True. Um, so... It, We'll see what happens there. But then I just had a thought. We don't know what Claire is having, do we? Well, uh, again... A baby.
0: M- thank you. My, my, my traditional prediction is, is that she's having a baby and that it's, no, not, it's not a velociraptor. A velociraptor. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> I meant that she would be having a boy or a girl. Don't know. So here's, here's my conspiracy theory. What happens if Claire has a little girl? And we have an arranged marriage between Jack Wolf and... Baby Williams, baby girl Williams. Oh, we've
0: we've had this talk before, this theory
1: before. Yes. I think that we could wind up with, like, F1 royalty right there. Yeah, I I could see that.
0: Probably more so than, I don't know, a certain Palmer. (laughs) Oh. Anyway, Malaysia. Malaysia. So, I don't know if NBC did this, but... If you were watching Channel 4, and you did not realize that this was the final race for the Malaysian Grand Prix, uh, you were not watching Channel 4. Oh, my word. Because <laughs> Steve Jones, I, I'm kind of wondering if he got a bonus every time he mentioned that it was the final race.
1: Well, he should have gotten a bonus for that pink shirt he wore in Qualify. <laughs> um, that was awful. Um, yeah, that was... It was... The equivalent of Steve Matchett talking about tires, or the number of times that we've heard any pundit anywhere talk about Max Verstappen being the youngest teenager on the grid. Which or he's or not that anymore. spas
0: in the Arden Forest and sometimes it rains on one part of the track and it's sunny on other parts. Yes. Yeah. Or
1: the number of times that we've heard you confuse Australia and Austria. Um, any of those different metrics we could use, but Malaysia's final grand prix after 19 years did you know it was 19 years because we know it now <laughs>
0: Form, formula's first ever race in southeast asia although they only played that once oh
1: yeah um well
0: before we talk about the race we have to talk about a support race okay um because the organizers of the formula Four southeast asia championship apologized unreservably Because there was an error that led to every driver retiring from the race. Nobody finished it.
1: What kind of error would cause nobody to finish a race?
0: Not only did nobody finish it, but by the way, the Southeast Asia Championship is basically one team with nine cars.
1: Oh, my. And
0: nobody finished it. (laughs)
1: Why did nobody finish
0: it? (laughs) Well, all nine drivers failed to finish the race at Sepang on Saturday after a miscalculation on how much fuel was needed to complete two races, which were being run back-to-back due to a timetable reshuffle.
1: So who did the calculation? Was it Sepang Circuit, or was it the one team with nine cars?
0: The one team. Um, Peter Thompson, the chairman of series organizer Asian Autosport Action, said, I apologize unreservedly for the results of race three. With races two and three back to back and without the possibility to top up, we filled the cars for both races before the start of race two. However, we miscalculated the requirements. As we are a one team championship, all the drivers were unfortunately affected. Oh, my. Yeah.
1: But guess what? That team won.
0: Daniel Frost was officially awarded the victory. He said, "It was a very interesting day, to say the least. I managed a great start and was able to pull away from everyone. About the ha- after the halfway point, though, I did see the driver behind me slow down, and then not long after, I did as well. It is a disappointing way to end a race, but on a positive, I am happy with the result that was declared."
1: Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> you took you the longest to run out of gas, and you win. Yeah. All right, so, Malaysia, not a whole lot of, like, super interesting stuff happened, unless you wore a Ferrari. Yeah. So, in qualifying, our now currently second place uh, world championship uh, fighter, Sebastian Vettel, failed to set a time in quality and started from the back of the grid because he had a turbo issue.
0: Yeah, well... There was a major engine repair that occurred, I guess, coming out of free practice three. Um, the team was working frantically to get the car ready to go for uh, qualifying, um, managed to get everything going. Sebastian got out on track, and while he was on the outlap, um, lost power mm-hmm. and limped the car back. And it, And they ended up having to, uh, like you said, not say a time they retired the car due to a turbo failure. Um so he starts at the back now ferrari got really smart here ferrari realized that we're already at the back nothing else can happen this is a great time and, and there hasn't been a lot of talk on what, on the brilliance here this is a really good time to put a brand new engine in seb's car we're already at the back there's nothing to lose here mm-hmm. so they swapped out his engine took an additional 20 place penalty even though he already started in last place but the one thing that nobody pointed out is that, okay, so now Seb has a, a brand new engine to get him through the rest of the year. The Mercedes don't. Right. They took their last engine two races ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That could be telling.
1: That could be very interesting as to when that, that penalty happens, because I don't think there's an if at this point. I think it's a win. Mm-hmm. All right. So at the front end of the grid, we had Lewis Hamilton get yet another pole lap, unexpectedly because he had been not performing very well throughout the weekend free practices. Um, And we
0: also heard radio chatter during that lap or, or as in the lead up to that lap of some engine issues.
1: Right. They had picked up that there was an engine issue. Lewis said, I've got something going on. And the chain of events, and Susie Wolf told the story probably the best of the number of people Mm -hmm. that told the story. But the chain of events is that before Brackley, what was the other plant? Um, Bricksworth. Bricksworth. So there was a guy in Bricksworth who analyzed what Lewis had reported, Mm -hmm. found the problem, came up with a solution, sent it to Braxley. Braxley tested the solution. And then send it over to Sepang, to to the pit wall, to communicate to Lewis. Now, here's the key. This all happened on his pole lap. They had a time when they told well, was, him how it to... Well, it was
0: just before the pole lap because the solution was to hold that RS button. But it's more than that. This That whole chain of events occurred within three turns of right. the lap.
1: Right. So And they had to tell him at a very specific time because... They didn't want to screw up his turns, Mm -hmm. but they had told him, you know, okay, this is what you're going to do. He does it, multitasks through the rest of the lap, pulls off the pole lap. I mean, it was a phenomenal experience, and that just proves to me how great Lewis is as a driver. Sitting next to him on the grid was supposed to be Kimi Raikkonen. They pushed Kimi's car out to the grid this morning, in the wee hours of our time this morning, and they can't get it started. They can't get it going. It's not well, good. Well, they got it
0: started to do the parade lap um, and, 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 and the turbo. sighting laps. It, it was as he was coming to the grid, there was a report of some kind of problem. And we we and, and at this point, we still don't know exactly what that problem was. But as as he was on those preliminary laps, before the parade lap, um, while they were lining up for the grid, some kind of a problem was reported they get the car onto the grid the engine cover comes off the car on the grid and the engineers are frantically working on trying to resolve the issue
1: he doesn't start
0: yeah
1: (laughs) well let's just cut to the chase wheel the car
0: away off the grid right into the garage and quickly give up
1: yeah he does not start which left lewis sitting on the front row completely by himself now there's another piece of drama that happened as they were doing the grid walk it there was torrential downpours that happened right before the race began
0: yeah overnight
1: oh right before the race began um, and because it's warm the the track dries very very quickly so some people went out on their formation not the formation lap the preliminary uh, scouting laps on intermediates that's how soon the mm-hmm. the uh, rain had happened When they did the grid walk, it was noted that the one side of the grid had completely dried. The other side of the grid was still wet.
0: And that was Kimmy's side.
1: it was Kimmy's side. Well, there's other drama because Force India has written a letter. Apparently, one of the rules and regs is that you cannot dry your grid spot.
0: Who was drawing your grid spot?
1: McLaren. Really? At least McLaren, but they cite about two or three other teams that were drying their good spots, um, and ultimately no action has been taken. But Yeah, because
0: that's something that the FAA has gone back and forth on, because I think it was last year, I don't remember if it was Malaysia or if it was Japan, but there was one of the races where... Um, somebody had gotten approval to, to dry the, their, their grid spot. Um, but there was also another opportunity where Mercedes had asked for it and was told no. So that that's one of those things that I think they, they go back and forth on.
1: Right. Apparently, it's Article 22.3 of the sporting regulations. Other than by driving on the track, competitors are not permitted to attempt to alter the grip of any part of the track surface, which includes drying um half the cars according to motorsport.com the um force india reported that half the cars on the grid were drying the circuit which is not allowed and we didn't um they actually followed the rules when everyone else was drying the circuit they got much better start than we did on the wet side of the grid he thinks mclaren was one of the teams um So they have talked to the FIA, but not specifically to Charlie. So I don't know if anything will actually come out of this. But they are saying, well, that was why they didn't get a good start.
0: I think there will be a clarification is all that will come out of that.
1: Yeah. Um, But keep in mind, they have all of these air blowers that are going on the cars. And to keep keep the cars and the drivers as cool as possible because Mm -hmm. it's incredibly hot in Malaysia – and, of course, it wouldn't be much to just turn those little blowers down on the grid right in front of the tires. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I, you know, that that's an easy miss. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. But, yes, there was a wet side and a dry side. They were really punditing on whether or not there would be effect on the start. Um, Lewis, I think, got an okay start, but Max got a better start. And it didn't take very many turns that Max overtook Lewis from fourth place. Third, third, Ricardo was fourth. Yeah, um, but he overtook Lewis, and that was pretty much the race right there.
0: Yeah, one of the things that that Mercedes is going to need to look at is it doesn't sound like Lewis had full power. Um, he had reported that he was having some issues um, with uh, the battery charge, mm-hmm. um, and. They had talked about that also the day before, too, in qualifying. So the electri- they appear to be having electrical issues, and that may have been why not only did Max pass him, but Max was able to run away. I mean, right. Max got, got seven seconds on him, more than seven seconds on him at one point. Um, Vettel, on the other hand, um, once again put away all the doubters that said he doesn't know how to pass, uh, picking up 16 positions... Um, fairly handily.
1: Yeah. I mean, he finished fourth. He made a half-hearted attempt at a run on Ricardo, but Ricardo did a phenomenal job of holding him back. Mm -hmm. Um, at one point it looked like Ricardo was actually going to make a move on Hamilton. But the truth of the matter is he never really got close enough. Um, Verstappen's race was a race of just managing and Lewis's wasn't that far off. He was far enough back from Verstappen. He wasn't pushing. Yeah. And the truth was, and this was something that was very interesting in the post interviews, Max Verstappen said one of the reasons why he was able to push so hard and get ahead of Lewis in that first couple of turns was he knew that Lewis had more to lose than Max did. So Lewis was going to back off and did because taking Lewis out would have been a bad thing so Lewis taking second was a strategic move in a very in on Lewis's side because in his interview he also said he goes yeah I could have pushed harder but as long as I kept Vettel behind me by a certain amount I didn't need to and why take a risk when he expanded his lead by another six points, he's sitting at 34 points ahead of Vettel now.
0: Yeah, I mean the tr- the truth is, as long as n- no matter what happens, as long as Lewis finishes every race ahead of Seb, he's got nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could see that.
1: So, and as long as they finish close to each other, he could finish behind Seb in a couple of races. Yeah, and it'd still be okay. Now, the one that's the most disappointing is actually Valtteri Bottas. Yeah. He qualified fifth. He finished fifth. He made no change. But he is feeling like he's in a little bit of a slump right now.
0: He is. Uh, you know, I think the statistic is that he's been, since uh, the return from summer break, he's been about a half second down on Lewis. Um, it wasn't helped by uh, an arrow issue uh Mercedes was trying out a new aero package on the car um both drivers struggled with it through practice um Lewis went back to the old package but Valtteri stayed with the new one and Valtteri has admitted that staying with the new one was probably a mistake
1: right um and then overall the rest of the grid kind of flowed out as the rest of the grid did um it wasn't all that exciting there was no safety car there was no you know big fun crashes although there was an interesting crash that happened during free practice with Grosjean
0: there was yeah well interesting is one way to put it um once again we're reminded of the tremendous amount of suction um that goes on under the cars as they race around the circuit Um, A weld failed on one – and it was when I believe it was Vettel passed over one of the curbs. A weld failed on one of the the, uh, metal grates that covers a, a drain on the side of the track, popped up an edge of that grate, and when Grosjean came over, it slashed through the car.
1: Right. So, I mean, that was the big excitement that happened. But overall, it was Malaysia, the last one. We say goodbye to Malaysia. Largest crowd at Malaysia ever. And Max Verstappen won his second ever race.
0: The day after his 20th birthday, because he's no longer a teenager.
1: He's no longer a teenager. Um, apparently, Joss Verstappen is very, very pleased. Of course. And he is. Max's little sister cried on the grid under the podium.
0: Well, that's because he's won more races than Joss now.
1: Right. Apparently, the Dutch National Anthem has been played exactly twice.
0: Yes, both for Max.
1: Both for Max.
0: Um, So our last story. And again, this takes us back to Singapore. Some some comments that we heard from um, Lightning McQueen. I mean, uh, Lewis. Mm -hmm. Lewis has said that uh, he is aiming to become a vegan in an attempt to pursue the healthiest possible lifestyle and avoid damaging the planet. Lewis said that he had been inspired by a documentary about the meat industry and its potential effects on the environment, animal welfare, and human health. Um, He has not eaten chicken for much of this year. He said, I stopped eating red meat two years ago. I have generally been a pescatarian for the majority of the year, and now I've cut fish. As for the human race, what we are doing to the world, the pollution in terms of emission of global warming gases, coming from the amount of cows that are being produced is incredible. They say it is more than we produce, more than what we produce with our flights and our cars, which is kind of crazy to think. The cruelty is horrible and I don't necessarily want to support that. I want to live a healthier life.
1: A man whose entire career is based on using fossil fuel
0: and doesn't reuse tires and goes through how many sets of rubber tires in a weekend never to be reused again. Sometimes they just destroy them without ever using them in the first place.
1: Right. Yeah. Save the planet, Lewis. One chicken breast at a time. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, that's all we've got. Another long show. But uh, next week it was is...
1: two weeks of show in one.
0: It was. Next week we have Suzuka. And should Japanese be the grand best
1: free. headgear ever
0: yeah if if you watch japan for nothing else you watch it for the hats that the fans are wearing and see how many drs enabled hats you can find yes and on that note we'll call it a show